All right, welcome back to another episode of Shoot Me Straight with Eddie Gallagher and Dave Fields. And today we have an awesome guest, uh, Scott Brown, who um, was, I don't know, we, we connected through Baker Levitt, who was a prior guest on this show. Um, Scott and I started exchanging text messages, and then he was gracious enough to take myself, my wife, and uh, my youngest out on a uh, fishing trip here out in the bay. And, uh, we got to talking, got to know each other pretty good, and Scott's just an awesome, awesome individual. Uh, tons of experience. He's, uh, you're still active. Yeah, I'm on my way out. On my right way now. out. So, congratulations on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, but yeah, definitely wanted to get you on here. Um, just hear about you know your story, uh, where you came from to where you are now. Um, you definitely uh, are. A family man. Um, you're all about your family, which is uh, definitely high in my book uh, when it comes to values. And um, yeah, I'm just glad to have you on here. Oh, I appreciate it. Honored to be here. It was nice meeting y'all. Definitely nice meeting your family. We had a good time out there on the water. You know, never a dull moment out there. No. So definitely enjoyed your son being up there. I mean, that kid's a gunner right there. Oh, you dude, know, he's. Focused. I think he was born born to fish. He he loves being oh, out on the 100%, water. Um, you can tell. Yeah. You know, there's 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 because how how old is he? He is fourteen. Yeah, most fourteen year olds they don't they, they they can't stand up there and and stay engaged. You know. Yeah. They, yeah. He's always ever since we moved to Florida. He as soon as we moved here, he's like, I want to fish, and yeah. so I got him a fishing pole, and he would go out on the bridge and fish yep. on his own. You know, not knowing what he he didn't know what he was doing, and I didn't grow up fishing, so yeah. I couldn't sit there and like give him instruction. I was figuring it out with him on my own, but it was cool. Like it was a good good bonding experience between the both oh, of absolutely. us and then you know I've taken him out as many fishing trips as I I've can and but yeah he had a great time with you. He definitely he was talking about it. Oh, for I appreciate a week. it. Yeah. Yeah we'll definitely get back out there and do it. Now that the, the weather's cooling off, you know Yeah, thank God. Oh, my goodness thank it's been so hot. God. Bad. Yeah. It's been real hot. But I mean still gotta get out there, you know. Like yeah. the other day it was just like, all right, everyone get out of the house. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's time to get outside. We can't sit in here all day. Exactly. You got to get some fresh air, gotta get, get some sunshine, do the deed. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess that's what everyone knows. That's what Baker knows me by is everyone knows me as like the family fisherman, you know. And so um, I've been doing it all my life. It's, it's pretty much the same story as you hear from anybody, you know. Uh, my dad got me into, into fishing. Mm -hmm. So my dad, he grew up in the inner city of New York. So like the Bronx, really rough neighborhood. And um, lots, of, lots of fishing. Yeah, lots of fishing there. <laughs> exactly. In the concrete jungle. So what his parents used to do, because, um, I mean, inner city kids, like, you're, you're getting in trouble. There's no way around it. Yeah. You know, especially back in that time frame. And uh, what they used to do is they did this program where they would take my dad and send him to a farm out in the outskirts of, like, I think, like, Pennsylvania or New York or something like that. And basically he would – he got acquainted to the outdoors in that fashion. So – he learned some work ethic out there, learned what a cow was, what a chicken was, you know, yeah. kind of got <laughs> grounded to, like, where food came from, you know, because yeah. a lot of people in this day and age, they have no idea where any of their food comes from, you know. Nope. So, yeah. anyways, he eventually moved from the Bronx. Him and his family relocated to Peekskill, New York, so it's a little more out in the country, and they were lucky enough to be able to uh, secure property very close to, like, the Hudson River. And so that's where the majority of his, like, teenage years and everything were. And uh, he got into fly fishing, tying all his own flies, um, going and finding, like, fishing reels and, like, trash can, refurbishing them, 
because um, they, they grew up pretty poor. And so um, anything that he could fix and use, that's what he was doing, just because he didn't have the money to be able to buy any of that. So eventually he left um, New York, moved over to California where he met my mom, and then uh, eventually had me back in 1989. So I'm pretty young in comparison probably to a lot of the people they have on this podcast. Uh I'd say so. It's average. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. we had, uh, what? You, early yesterday, 30s. Yeah, 34. The other day we yeah. had, uh, how old was that kid? 27. 27, yeah. That's yeah. pretty young. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of like when I came into it, and he did. He basically did the same thing that his dad did for him. He put a fishing rod in my hands. You know, he brought me up to a, a stocked pond up in the mountains somewhere in California with a bunch of trout and uh, got tight that way. And uh, it's always been in – been in our family activities ever since. What uh, what part of Cali? So I was born in Torrance. Okay. Um, and then lived in Marina del Rey, and then uh, moved in 1990 to North Carolina. And out of all places, we moved to Southern Pines, North Carolina. So lovely. <laughs> that kind of uh, <laughs> that that paved the way for the for the Green Beret route. Yeah. Um, naturally. They, they recruit out of there. Yeah. They, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, everybody, uh, when, when you go to Pinecrest high school, it's, you look around and either people go to NC state or they go to Ranger regiment or they take the 18 x-ray route and be a green beret. So, so for people who, you know, for the listeners that like, was at Southern Pines, right. Yeah. That's right outside of Fayetteville. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like or the, Fort Bragg. The special operations mecca. Yeah. You know, we breed them, breed them strong there, I guess. Spend, spend some time there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But, so, yeah, uh, growing up in North Carolina, it was the uh, same thing. My dad start, started an auto body business, uh, worked his ass off. He was, uh, both my parents were entrepreneurs. My mom opened up a martial arts business. Oh, wow. Um, and we basically worked, fished, and uh, did martial arts. So uh, was your mom into martial arts? So ooh, she enrolled my sister and I into Taekwondo when I think I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And she saw how much fun that my sister and I were having doing it. And she wanted to get in there and do something with her kids. And then nice. um, next thing you know, that turned into a business, you know, from from how much that we all loved it. And then... uh my sister and I, we we started doing it more on like the the tournament side of things. And um, was it just Taekwondo or any other martial arts? Yeah, later on, it, it turned into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It turned into like Filipino knife and stick. Like it, it turned into like a variety of things. That's cool. And we started hiring instructors from outside the area to come sure. down and teach as well. And then MMA was made legal in North Carolina kind of around that time frame. I think I was like 20 years old or something. And then I started doing the amateur fights and stuff. Started getting the living hell knocked (laughs) out of me. Made me reassess some things. You were fighting amateur MMA? uh, Yeah. Yep. Cool. So only did that for a little bit because the Army came in fast. I was kind of at like this point in my life where I was like, all right, like, we're obviously not going pro, you know, um, you're not going down to the Florida Keys to be a fishing guy. We'll get to that later on. Cause it was kind of like during the recession when back in like 2008 timeframe and it's just kind of trying to figure out life as like a young adult. Yeah. And so, um, I was going to a community college for pre-pharmacy 
and then I dropped out my junior year and basically took like three to four months to figure out what I needed to do. And that's kind of when one of my mentors uh, who served at the unit came in and was like, hey, what do you uh, what do you aspire to be? You know, there's these there's things in the military that would be really <laughs> great for you. And it's crazy growing up in Southern Pines. I didn't in high school, if you would have told me that, hey, like you're going to go live a life in special operations for over 13 years, I would have looked at you like you're crazy. Yeah. You know, like I want to be a fishing guide down in the Keys. But, um, yeah, that uh, that key individual, he was like, you, you can go straight to Range Regiment and deploy, you know, or you can go to the Special Forces Q course, um, which is like two years long, you know. You're going to come out a little – little more um intelligent i guess you know because of the amount of schools that you go into and everything and that whole process you're going to come out a little better operator in terms of uh um being multifaceted yeah you know in in a lot of mission sets and you'll have a lot of different opportunities um in comparison to going to ranger ranger regiment and doing airfield seizure and stuff like that but um so yeah i took the the green beret route when i dropped out of college so real quick, so as the non-military at mm-hmm. all, done, no, absolutely, S- special forces one-on-one guy over here. I need yeah. the, the basics. <laughs> so for Navy SEALs, you know, I think buds is for Army Rangers. Is that Q course? So the Army Rangers they go through like a like I think it was, I don't know what it's called now. I think it was called RASP back in the day. It's like a Ranger pre-selection type training, and then once you do that you're in Ranger Regiment, then they expect you to go to Ranger School, but you're a scrolled Ranger. You're like, you're like an actual like in the in the unit Ranger Regiment. Not okay. like a tabbed Ranger where you just go to school, Ranger School and you wear a tab. Yeah. But you're not actually in the regiment. And that's where I because I, I was always confused. You know, uh my dad, you know, I I'm an army brat. My mm-hmm. dad, you know, uh served like twenty four years. Uh, but he had a ranger tab. Yeah. And so growing up, I'm like, oh, he's a ranger. He's a ranger, yeah. But in reality, he was a, you know, he was West Point grad and mm-hmm. then went to ranger school yep. to get the tab. Because it's, I think in the Army, it's like a leadership course. It's a leadership correct? course, yeah. Yeah, but then you also have people that go to ranger school to go to the actual ranger regiment to actually do the ranger job. Yeah. Is that how you would describe it the best? Um, yeah. Yeah, in and around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, when you sign up, like, in the military – like, outside of, like, your MOS, like, what do you want to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's programs within where it's like, well, I want to be a Special Forces operator or I want to be a Navy SEAL or I want to be a MARSOC operator. There's programs with courses built in to, to make you that thing. And all the time frames vary. All the mission sets vary. So they're all catered to something gotcha. specific. But... Um, but when you say tab, like in a ranger that's tabbed, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily, like there's a difference between other guys that went through the regiment or through so, the school? So basically like most rangers that are in ranger regiment, and again, like I'm not a ranger, I'm, I'm speaking on their behalf, so excuse sure. me if I get this wrong, but um, like f- my friends that are in ranger regiment, they all signed up to be in ranger regiment okay once they're there for a little bit they usually do like a deployment or two 
they come back, they're expected to go to Ranger School to get their Ranger tab. Oh, okay. And so it's a leadership school to be able to, like, lead soldiers into combat and stuff like that. But you could have the tab and not have Correct. been deployed. Yeah, yeah. so you could, have, you could have the tab and not actually be in Ranger Regiment. Got so, it. like, for all the Green Berets that are Ranger tabbed that are in Special Forces, they went to the school, you know. But, gotcha. Um, for Rangers, so, like, I mean, I think of Navy SEALs, like, you're sp- – you're specialized in direct action and water, mm-hmm. right? Like for Rangers, is there air uh, airfield seizures? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, they're big yeah. on direct action as well. I mean, in all the special operations, they all over all the missions overlap. Yes, especially over yeah. the past two decades. Exactly. That's, uh, I think before the G Water, you know, global war on terror, everyone had their own specific. Uh, things that they did right uh but then as the war evolved everybody started doing everybody else's job we sort of like melded in i mean we ended up doing the green beret mission you know at at some point during the war and then green berets started doing da's and so it just it was just the way it worked out um it all comes down to you know leadership being like well i want my guys Mm -hmm. doing this and Mm. you know so yeah there's a and it always changes you yeah. know, like everything that we did back in the like over the last ten years is not like that anymore. You know, I'm sure there's these courses and stuff and the pipelines, they're all completely changed. Got you. Yeah. You know. But um but back in the day I say back in the days. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it though after <laughs> yeah. after a while, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's not been that long. But anyways. So, so Q course. Yeah. So you you'd uh did you go in on like was it an X ray program? Yeah, so I did the eighteen X ray program. Um because I had I had three goals. Um and and we'll get to that later on. But the three goals, the eighteen X ray program would have got me those goals quicker than if I were to have gone to Ranger Regiment. Yep. And so basically I signed that contract and this was in two thousand and ten when I signed that. Um I actually didn't get to go until two thousand eleven because there was like a wait. And uh, for the amount of people that were enlisting, because um, this was in a, in a time of war, like I joined specifically to go to, to war. be part of the global war on terror. You yeah. know, I didn't have any college to pay off, nothing. Like I wanted to be that quintessential Green Beret doing the Green Beret mission. Um, and a lot of that has to do with 9-11. I was in eighth grade when that happened, and I'll never forget my art teacher crying and I, and I didn't understand it. You know, it was on the TV and I'm trying to put it all together and it wasn't, didn't really mean anything to me at that point. But as time went on and we started seeing, um, a lot more people killed in action in my hometown and stuff like that, then it started to kind of like resonate. And then all of us hit that age, like that 21, 22, 23 year old time frame in our lives. And we said to ourselves like, man, like, this is something that we need to do. I know? think, yeah, I mean, 9-11 definitely sparked uh, a lot of people to join the military. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, I, there were people leaving their jobs. Yeah. Like, $200,000 paying jobs, people were leaving them and enlisting in the Special Forces Q course. And I find, it, I find it remarkable, like, you know, that especially you, you know, you joined in 2010 to actually, like, hey, we're at war, I want to mm-hmm. go to war. I mean, when 9-11 happened for me, I was already in. Yep. Uh, I was on the rifle range. I was in a sniper platoon, um, and, you know, we were just training to train. Yep. And when that happened, it was just sort of like the, the roller coaster started, oh, and yeah. here we go. And it just didn't, you know, and everybody thought, 
the war was going to be over within yeah. a year. They're like, oh, dude, if we don't get our chance now, <laughs> then we're never going to go. And little did we know little 20 years later, know. you know, but I never, it was, it was crazy as the, my time and service went on and seeing, you know, younger people join up and hearing their stories of like, you know, well, why'd you choose this job? Yeah. And they're like, well, 9-11, I was in high school. I watched it happen. And that's what drove me to come to this. And I, I always like, you know, I have a lot of respect for, the younger generation for doing that, ah, you know, because that. they, it's unique. they knew what they were getting into. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, some of the best, some of the best operators I've ever served with came, came out of that time frame, And it's because the Iraq surge just happened. We had too many people in the military and I don't want to say standards increased, but they were really tough on the people coming in because they didn't need you. They were so already like an over, oversaturation <laughs> of people. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that 2011, 2012 time frame of the Special Forces Q course was pretty damn tough. I'm sure it was intense. Um, yeah. And it was more like, I don't like to call that, that like some of the remedial training hazing or anything like that, but I mean, they dished out the pain. You know what I mean? Because they didn't need the weak. They cut it real quick. Were, well, were most of your instructors at that time all uh, – Combat vets. They were. There right? were a lot of them were like wounded, had to come back do instructor time, or you had the other, the other side of it, which weren't a lot of people. People that got in trouble and stuff like that, and you could always pick those people yeah. out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't lead from the front like the others. You know, but for the most part, a lot of them were like wounded um, from deployments in Afghanistan or Iraq. So you got a lot of like real stories, like a lot of like real knowledge outside of like. Some of like the chest beating, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but again, like you know which which cadre to listen to and which ones mm-hmm. not to, which ones to respect, which ones to to remember in the back of your head and say, you know what, I don't want to be that guy later on in life. You yeah. Know? And a lot of the lessons they were probably putting out to you guys were not stuff they were making up. They were like, yeah. dude, I I watched this happen. Yep. This is why you're getting beat for this. Yeah. This is why we're punishing exactly. you for doing this. And it wasn't for they could justify it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that's. Because I, I went through uh, Marine Corps sniper school. I mean, 9-11 had just happened, but literally no one had been to combat yet. Yep. It was all – we were still doing Vietnam-style tactics yep. back then, and, and then everything was sort of in theory. Like, hey, this is why we do this, because maybe this could happen. And then as time went on, you know, that training, I think in every branch of the military, evolved into like, nope. This is the reason we're doing this is oh, because yeah. this is what you will be going to do. That's one of the unique things. If you take a step back and, and you look at some, and I only got to experience like the uh, like OEF, like one rotation, um, and then it turned into like resolute support. Um, so I didn't get like the full um, wild, wild west experience like some dudes did. Um Every every you know everyone's trip varies. Yeah, I got a good one, but some of the stories I hear, I'm like my mind is blown by some of the older generation. And um, what's unique about it is if you take a step back and you look how fast we develop these like standard operating procedures or uh, technological advancements and like weaponry and and a lot of like the tech side of things, it's mind blowing in terms of. If that would have been a two-week war, which, I mean, we decimated those people in two weeks. Yeah, you know, it I mean, could we, have been a two-week war. It could war. have been a two-week war. 
you know, which and maybe fifty percent of me thinks it should have been. That's what I was about to say. Maybe it should have been. It should have been. It one hundred percent should have yeah. been. Because like, you know, greed always gets the best of us. But if you look on the other side of things, we are the most battle proven military in the entire world. You know, I mean, it's the amount of like rotations and operations that were conducted by the United States is pretty mind blowing. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's there's something to be said behind that. I mean, we put our money where our mouth is. You know, mm-hmm. but anyways, that's the, I try to look at it from the A positive, positive oh, side, same here. you know, no. cause I mean, we all, we all whisper and talk about the, the negatives too as well. Well, I think the way I looked at it right is, you know, you set aside all that political BS and the, the corruption of why we're actually over there. Yeah. Right. The way, and I, I figured that out by, by 2010, I was like, we're, we're yeah, not yeah. trying to win this war, yeah. but I justified staying in because one, the love I had for my brothers. And I'm like, the reason I kept going back was because my brothers were still there and we're all going back together. And then the other one is there was no denying that we were crushing evil over there. I mean, I'm sure you saw it. I saw it. There is pure evil that goes on and the crap that those, whatever you want, Taliban, Al Qaeda, ISIS, Mm -hmm. It's all the same barbarian tactics, and I'm like, whether we're trying to win or not, if I can come over here and take as many of these people out as possible in a six-month rotation, oh, yeah. I'm fine with it. Satisfying, yeah. isn't it? That is that is one thing I experienced, and I'll never forget it. The person's face is forever and great. I, thought, I think we were talking about it. We captured quite a few people alive on some of those commando missions that we did, and I'll never forget um, we got a hold of – Basically, the 17-year-old kids, PKM, jammed on them, right? And we assaulted through, and we, we captured them alive. And when we detained them, I remember looking at them when the sun came up, and the hatred that I was staring at was so real, mm. you know? And I remember sitting there and thinking, like, don't ever forget this, because this is a reminder of what's outside our comfy little first-world country. Yeah, You know, like bar- barbarianism and heathens, I mean, that it's... That still is a real thing out there. But oh yeah, we're so insulated here that we forget what evils and and what uh what real things go on outside of this country. I mean, it's mind blowing, you know. And even even I forget about them sometimes, you know. And oh, it's easy to here. So easy, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you have to respect them as well. Absolutely, I, and that's the thing that people don't understand either. Is I, I mean, I I hate them, you know, or at least I did. When I was in, now I'm yeah. sort of removed, so I'm like, uh, but I hated them, but I respected them at the same time because I was like, these these people are willing, they know they're going to die. Oh, yeah. Like, they're fighting an uphill battle going against America, right? We have everything in our advantage, but they still found ways to come at us, uh, take us out, um, and they, they would not stop fighting for what they believed in, how fucked up it is or not. Yeah. I was like, you have to respect someone who is willing to die for their ideology oh, absolutely. at all costs. You know, it's interesting is like, there's so many, just like you said, there's like so many threats or organizations. If you want to talk about it, you had everything from just freedom fighters who just didn't want you in their country, you know, to the purest of evil, which was ISIS, which we encountered later on. But, um, yeah, you got to respect regardless of you, Agree or disagree with them, you definitely have to respect. Because, I mean, they handed – we got our asses handed to us 
plenty of times by those people. And, I mean, they are just running around in sandals and World War II rifles. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, it's pretty incredible. I don't mean to, like, laugh, and yeah. but I, mean, I, I kind of have to, you yeah. know? I mean, you got to respect it's, it. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to Q course, you X-ray program. So you went to Army boot camp. What year? Yeah, like 2011. 11. Yeah, I went through basically a basic training, which was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I've never had to interact with that amount of different people, you know. And when I say different people, I mean intelligence varies from <laughs> from like rock eaters to I mean some of the most intelligent people I've ever met, you know. Really? And um, what was interesting about that time frame is like most of like my basic training class, from what I remember, um, most of them were there for the 18 X-ray program which is the special forces candidate program, or they were going to the ranger assessment program. So everyone was there to go aspire to do, um, to do a higher level of, of work within the army. And, um, at the very end of the day, the, uh, the, the, the old song, the ballad of the green beret, that, that whole, line where it's like a uh, hundred men will test today and three will get their green beret. I mean, it held true. Yeah. At the very end of it, at the end of like year two, I looked around at my graduating class and three of them were from my basic training. And I was wow, pretty yes. blown away by that. Three so, out of a hundred. Let's uh, can we, can we delve into like the Q course a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I know a little bit about it yeah. just because, you know, I've, especially moving down here now, I, I'm, Oh yeah, hang around a lot more. You're inundated with the you know seventh group seventh here, group here and I, yeah. I met a lot of Green Berets. So I, you know, I hear stories, but I I never like really put it together because it's so different than Bugs. Yeah. Uh, but what I do, what I do know about it, and what I've seen, I think I watched like a documentary or some one of the reality shows that they did on it is like I do like the fact that during the selection, the cadre can just be like, you're gone, mm-hmm. like. There's no, it's like the difference in buds is we can't do that, yeah. right? It's a, you're self-selecting out. You ring the bell or yeah. you fail to meet the standard in some evolutions. And yeah. that's, it's pretty cut and dry. It's like, dude, if you don't pass this, you're gone. Yep. Um, what I've seen from the Q course or just the little that I know is like, it's sort of subjective. Again, like all of these courses have changed over like the past. I mean, I feel like. All of the schools within the military are, are evolving and changing on like a daily basis. I know the dive schools continually being hounded to change certain things on, on the daily. And so um, back in 2011 timeframe, the Q course was like a total of a year and a half to two years long. And it was composed of a bunch of schools that you had to go to to be qualified to become a Green Beret and to, to carry out the, the several mission sets that we have. And so... Um, to summarize it, basically the 18 x-ray program, which is the, you go from civilian to special forces candidate, that, that, um, that program that I enlisted in, you go straight to basic training, uh, infantry school, airborne school, and then you from Fort Benning, Georgia, go to Fort Bragg, where you go to pre-selection training and they basically take you, get you physically prepped for the beatdown that incurs 
at selection. After you pass the pre-selection training, you go to selection, and then whether or not you get selected determines your fate from there. Uh, most people wash out; they go to the regular, the needs of the regular army, um, and then the the few that get selected, they move on to the special forces Q course. So, um, from what I remember, you go through like this, like little leadership uh, course. After then, you go to language school. That's like a six month course. Uh, to get your designated language, which also determines which special forces group that you go to. Um, upon completion of that, from what I remember, you either go to SUT, Small Unit Tactics, or SEER School. I know they flip-flop those um, due to course load, the amount of people. If they had too many people in, half would go to SEER, half would go to SUT. Once you complete that, you then went to what your job is within uh, special forces so I'm an 18 Charlie which is a combat engineer and so I went to school for that and what, are, what is a combat engineer like what What are your duties um every time someone asks me that I think of that meme like what your friends think you do yeah what your mom <laughs> thinks you do like what you actually do so combat engineer is um basically a structural engineer you are qualified to build like three-story house like we built a three-story house together within that course fully electric plumbed i mean it was pretty amazing to see like 90 students all get together and, and build a three-story house from knowing nothing to building that that was pretty incredible yeah then the other side of it is demolition so all of like your uh explosives um training uh, back in the day, they did homemade explosives training, so I got to go do that. Um, I'm not really sure if you do that anymore there. You basically build the house, and then you destroy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were houses that we did get to destroy. I, I took a bobcat one time and drove it straight through the stick-built house. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's the Special Forces uh, Combat Engineering course. Then you have, like, the 18 Bravo course, which is, like, the weapon sergeant. Um, then you have the 18 Delta course, which is the, the medic. medic course, the same course that you go to. Yeah. Yeah. SEALs go through that. Yeah. And then, um, you have the communication sergeant, then you have like your team leader. They go to a separate, um, course for being a team leader on a, on a ODA. And then, uh, once you're, com once you've completed all those courses, you then go to like the culminating event which is called Robin Sage, and it's an unconventional warfare exercise. Um, unconventional warfare is like the quintessential Green Beret mission set that we carry out. Um, whether or not we do it like it should, I don't think we've ever been able to do it because of the time frame it takes to do unconventional warfare in a country. I don't think we've actually conducted a true one since like Vietnam, and even in Vietnam, I'm not really sure that we, we did it to like the T. But, um, yeah, you do Robin Sage. You basically go live in the woods for, like, a month, and um, you carry out building a partner force, teaching them, equipping them, and then taking them into combat and overthrowing your fictitious dictatorship or extreme radical insurgent group. And uh, from there, you graduate, you get your Green Beret, and you move on to your Special Forces ODA only to be told to shut up and sit down and don't say a word. A new guy. New guy. Yep. But I don't know if it's like that now anymore. So <laughs> it's a kindlier, friendlier army now. 
But well, I think, well, it's a kind of friendlier military yeah. in general. Yeah, I don't know. There's some pros and cons to that. Yeah, there's pros and cons to that. That's yeah. what I was saying before. Like, I they got rid of a lot of, like, that gut check stuff, you know, like the remedial training. And I don't agree with a lot of that because war is not comfy. Yeah. And people forget some of the positions that you're put in living in these austere conditions I mean, if you didn't experience discomfort to the level that a lot of us did in that time frame when we went through, you're setting your your soldiers up for failure when they do the real thing. And I couldn't even imagine doing the real thing against a near-peer adversary right now because, I mean, that's, that's our big threat right now is near-peer adversaries with modern technology. We were fighting cavemen before near, so near peer just just saying like hey they're equal yeah yeah like, like I'll, i don't know about equal but damn near to it you know the same weapon system same thermal technology same communication um and there's some variance in that as well but i mean before like again we were fighting cavemen well that's that's why we equipped them recently so we could yeah uh, exactly make it, make it even <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so True. i know right so I, you just have to laugh at it but um yeah i i sit there and i think about it from time to time and i look at it and i'm like well we are turning this course into a gentleman's course but yet our threat is more lethal than ever those two yeah they don't correlate no it doesn't make know? any sense it goes that back to that saying you know that i mean i came up in it's like the more you sweat in training the, more, the less you bleed in war Oh, right. absolutely. That's, that's a good analogy. You, you have to make training as hard as possible because when you go do the real thing, then you're like, all right, I've been through, you know, we've been through this in some form or fashion and it's not as bad. Absolutely. Like, I can tell you, you know, for our training, you know, NSW has done a phenomenal job, especially with our, uh, our workup. Mm-hmm. Like every block we go to, almost near every block we go to is, it's a kick in the dick. Like yep. every time you are literally leaving each block, no matter what it is, like pretty worn out, beat down. And it might, it may seem like the more workups you do, you're like, damn dude, I got to do this again. Like it's getting monotonous, but there's a purpose for it. Absolutely. It's, it's for when you go do the real missions or you go over there and actually deploy, you're like, Oh, this ain't as bad. Yeah. You know? And the reason it's not as bad is because you've gone through a, tough as nails work up yeah. in some form or fashion you know it, and it's not it's not just for war like being in those um those positions where you suffer like it's more because like again like m- most people especially right now they don't get to go to combat it's going to combat that's the luck of the draw on whether or not your unit is going at the time frame that you were there so there are plenty of people that that went over there and they didn't do anything. They just sat around. And then there's the other side of it where you got these guys that were, went over there back to back to back, you know. And, again, it's just all luck of the draw when you got to your unit. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is war is like a 1% thing that you actually get to carry out within special operations. The other 99% is living in austere conditions with people that you don't necessarily really get to know until you've been on the team yep. for a while. And then the turnaround of that, you always have people circulating through the teams now. And so when you have to go to a location where you have to like boil your water, 
you know, or if you have like an aspen to be able to purify your water, whatever the case, like if you're boiling your water and you're living in a place on a generator, you know, that's, that's tough living coming from a first world country, going down to South America and having to gut it out down there. I mean, a lot of people don't think about that and you're forced to live there yeah. with all your other teammates. So I hope you're a people person because that's <laughs> what 90% of special operations is, is being able to work together as a team, you know, being able to not lose your cool in these austere conditions and just being able to get along. You know, a lot of people, they, they romanticize this, like, I've got to be as strong and fast and I've got to be able to shoot X, Y, and Z. It's like, that's great and all, but at the end of the day, if there's one thing that I would choose to be, it's being able to be a people person, you know, and being able to get along with a variety of personalities because yeah. it makes life so much easier. And I was that dude that didn't get along with a lot of people when I first got there. You know, um, I was, I thought I had everything figured out. You know, I was very young. Um, I, I had some worldly experience in certain artifices, but in the army world, I didn't have shit for experience. And that's why I made the joke earlier. When you get to your team, you sit down, you shut up, and you just listen because you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground when you get to your team. And, I mean, it's so true. And then after being there, learning the personalities and and being forced to get along, you know, because you got to complete your mission, whatever that may be, like, it's got to happen. You know, that that right there makes the best operator is – being a good people person being and a so, good team player being a good team player yeah you know if there was anything that i could do to go back and tell myself that, that's what it would be right there is you know that's what i find interesting about your guys selection right it's uh you know the fact that at any time they can be like hey you're done yeah and what what do you think like are some of the attributes from your selection that they're looking for and I, I guess, you know, being selflessness, good, selflessness, being a good team oh, yeah. player, right? You know, the, the worst thing you could be is spotlight rangers, what we call it, you know, doing feats of like grandeur or like being that guy in the spotlight 24 seven only for your personal self. You know, you're not helping anybody because you genuinely want to help them. You're helping them just so everyone can look at you like, Hey, I'm like number one. It's like that dude. It's like, you're all getting beat down like mass punishment, right? And it's like first one to the gate and back, like pays to be a winner type shit. And in certain scenarios, like it's a low key, hey, like everyone stay together so we don't incur even more of a beatdown because that dude that sprints there and makes it back screws everybody else. And now we're all flutter kicking because that dude only weighs 150 pounds and he can run a damn five 30 minute mile. Yeah. So of course he's going to make it back. But if that dude's mature enough to know that, you know, and it's more of like a team type thing, he'll slow down, you know, stick with the guys so that way everyone's not getting punished, you know. And, of course, there's those other scenarios where, like, it does pay to be a winner. Yeah, you, know you have to I mean? be smart have, enough and, to pick and choose when yeah, to be a winner and exactly. when, to, when to suffer with everybody else. Yes, and that's – if there's another attribute, you want to be a professional sufferer. We are – that's what we are in soft. We know yeah. how to suffer, and we can do it really good. We can live in the worst places, you know, and make make it happen. You always have to make it happen, you yeah. know. And so, with that being said, if you if you can if you're really good at suffering and sucking it up, 
you know, and carrying out, put one foot in front of the other and just putting a smile on your face. Like that's, that's an attribute of a team guy that I would want to serve with, Yeah, you know? And then, um, obviously like selflessness, like putting people, putting others in front of you. I mean, like you said before, the reason why we do this is it's, it's not for, you know, we're not warmongers or anything is we feel, we feel this need to want to be beside someone in, in those times of, of, uh, calamity and chaos because that's what it is war like actual war is controlled chaos within like the yeah the operator realm you know and um the only reason why you would do that is because you felt this need to help yep there is no other other reason why there's plenty of times where like i got home and i was like oh my god like thank god i made it back holy shit you know and you look at it and you look at your boy and you're like you know i'm glad you fucking made it you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what you're there for. 10 years later, you're still calling those same people, you know, and being like, Hey dude, do you remember that one time? It just, just came to mind, you know? And you're just like, yeah, dude, I'll never forget that. You know, it's, it was a true brotherhood, you know, but unfortunately we've lost some of that. Um, because I mean, the wars died down. Dudes aren't in those positions to be carrying that. It's very, it's very, uh, infinitesimal right now in terms of, uh, what we're doing. Well, I feel like we're reinventing the wheel again. We are. We're getting prepared for other stuff. I mean, you can't can't sit there and dwell on the global war on nope. terror. You know, there's the world's evolving. Threats are evolving. I mean, I totally get it. Um, it was a great time, but uh, on to the next one. Yep. You there, know? there is something about with men, um, men going through suffering together and yeah. building a bond. Yep. Right? Like, a, a, like good guys going through good times together. Builds a bond, but I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it compares to two guys or multiple guys going through really shitty times together. You got to go through some trauma to I get mean, the brotherhood. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. You, I mean, that, that's where the suffering comes in, right? You suffer Absolutely. together. You become tighter together. I mean, Dave, like think about when you. I mean, you go roll right, mm-hmm. um, and you have the guys. You know, you might go to a jujitsu class, or whatever, and you know, you you go full out, you know, full out with guys you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but at the end of the role, you're like high-fiving each other. And sure. you're, you're sort of like uh, a little bit closer, right? You're like, oh, dude, okay, I respect the fact that we just like went at it for five minutes. And you you have that little bit of uh, camaraderie. Yeah. Just, you know, 100%. but now take that, you know, Times if you want to. Yeah, it's like it's constant, yeah. right? Or but, like guys that you used to be around, y'all would fight. Y'all go out, fight over the weekend, like getting get into fights or fight with each other at times and stuff like that. But there's this bond that's broken between you two. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting the whole like that whole conversation on and it's it's hard for people to kind of assimilate to it unless you've like been in some of those like scenarios, um, whether it be war or like a catastrophic loss of life or something. But like again, like being close knit and trusting of each other and all these things that come out of experiencing these traumatic situations. And I don't mean to call it traumatic because like some of it, some of it's not traumatic, but it's just really heavy. It's a heavy scenario you know, and you both live through it. Um, another way to be able to assimilate this and, and I say this um, to a lot of people is your relationship with your significant other. If you talk to a lot of people about some of the best relationships, um, it's relationships 
that have been through thick and thin. Yep. Yeah. Those are the strongest of relationships. And I look at my wife and I, and we're not perfect by any means, but damn, do we have a strong relationship. We've been together for 14 years. A lot of sacrifice, a lot of crying, a lot of like hard times, children. Like you have to go through these these scenarios and situations to come out stronger as a team, you know. And so it's just that that whole example. Yeah, that it's the best. Still, I still think there's, I still think there's a part of it though, as a civilian. Yeah, right. That I, I don't pretend to think as a civilian you really know i get it conceptually yeah i don't know what it's like and you're right went to another country and like both of you guys like i mean a lot of cases it's like your little band kept each other alive or got through that together you know and like you don't like i don't know what that's like and a civilian want to know what, really what that's like unless they went through something well, like well you know that. i don't truly know what it's like because i never had i never lost a teammate in action while i was there because i i know a lot of those guys and i look at those teams and they have something that is beyond mm. what i experienced mm-hmm. I mean, that is some heavy stuff. When I was there in 2014, we lost uh, Matthew Ammerman. And looking at that team was very eye-opening. We loaded his casket onto that C-130, and I remember having to look the other team guys in the face. I wasn't from the team, but I I went through the Q course with Matthew. And I remember looking at those guys, and it was like something I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the emotion, the raw emotion and like that, that very heavy scenario kind of put things into context for me, you know, and that's something that like you can't even fathom unless you were there. I have an idea, mm-hmm. you know, but, yeah. but that's yeah, pretty I mean, freaking heavy, you know? Yeah. And then there's, I mean, some situations are worse than others and more traumatic exactly. than others. And yeah, each, each situation that is traumatic or how, you know, no matter how bad it is, yeah, it brings you closer Without as a, a unit. Yeah. I guess the whole point is whether regardless if you're military or civilian or whatever you are, like if you want to progress and and become a worldlier person, you have to go through some bullshit yeah. to get there. Yeah. You know, you got to go through some trauma, struggle. you know, oh, struggle. Yeah. You know, you this have makes to you stronger on the other end. Without a doubt. Mentally, emotionally, you know, you actually get to discover one's true like identity feelings like there's so many things that come out of living that you know so were you was uh your wife you guys were married throughout this whole time while you were going through yeah so we got um i met her before i enlisted in the army we're kind of high school sweethearts but we're not um and i had a girlfriend at the time when i met her and my girlfriend at that time was like oh you want to go into the army it's not going to happen i was like well this is something i want to do you know, and I don't care. I don't care if you want to be part of it or not, honestly. Yeah, deuces. You know, and then like a month later, uh, Lindsay and I ran into each other. And I mean, it's been history ever since. I mean, it was a complete opposite. You know, it was, I'll, it was basically, I'll be by your side to the end of the day, end of the end of days. Yes. You know, and, and, and it has been like that ever since. Ride or die. Ride or die. Man. And I would not be the man that I am or in the position that I'm in um, if it was not for her. 
you know, people say that shit all the time. It's like, oh man, like really like truly thankful of like my wife, but like genuinely the where we're at right now in terms of like just life, it would not be possible without her. Just yeah. because of the scenarios we've gotten ourselves in and the learning experience. And then kids are a whole other dynamic where you're like trying to figure out and learn that whole thing. And I mean, it brings a lot of stress, which you know, Dave. Oh my God, I can't even. How many kids you got? Four, four, three, the five, damn, seven. The yeah. damn squad right there, yeah. dude. I've only got two. I got a four year old and a seven year old. And like we said, the heathens, bro. Constantly <laughs> testing you, <laughs> you know. At least yeah. you've been through all of it. Oh, you know, you got, yeah, we're we're uh, on the back end. You're on right? the back so, end yeah, of it. Our youngest is 14, and yeah. then obviously the other two are. Well, Ava's going to college, and then Trevin's yeah. about to go in the Marine Corps. So yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, what we've but that's the thing. My fan, you know, just like yours and Dave, like our family is so tight knit. Absolutely. I mean, those kids and my wife like went through the whole, pretty much my whole career in the mm-hmm. SEAL team. So they've experience things that no kids should ever like really have to you know the loss of uncles which are my brothers and like they are they were just accustomed to the chaos yep which you know us as operators yes we thrive in chaos we thrive to suffer but the family also has to learn and adapt to do that as well if you don't have a strong wife who holds the fort down at home and takes care of the kids and like make sure the kids know at least my wife, you know, Andrea did. She was, she didn't hide anything from them. Like, yep. yeah, this is what your dad does. And this is what we are doing. Support him. Um, that it just made us stronger yep. as a, as a family in the end. Well, Andrea is such is such a bedrock, right? Like so so strong and stable. Like, I mean, yeah, you're off a of deployment, but like, it wasn't like Kate. Like she she kept it so good for them. You can tell, like all of your kids. Your whole family is like resilient, fighter, strong. Like a lot of that comes from a strong, independent woman. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, but it's like you said, it's not this. uh, I I hear guys say it a lot, and you can almost immediately tell most guys it's like out of fear of their wife. Like they're like, oh, you know, happy life, happy wife. Yeah, you know, and and it's like they just live, laugh, love. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really, they're fearful. They're, they're kids. They got, honestly, they got stick figure stickers on the back. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're 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 a, they're another kid to the wife, right? And the yeah. wife's like the one being an adult, and they're f- fearful trying to get away with, yeah. you know. Whatever. I hear a lot. And it's that's the opposite of what you're saying. What I, I I'm like, no, I'm not f- fearful at all. I'm grateful. So grateful. Grateful, grateful and, for finding and, a best and friend, it's, and it's just yes. the truth. Like my wife is su- such a everything we've gone through. She's so strong. Yeah, she's so loyal, committed, um, incredible mother. Yeah, you know, selfless. Yes, devoted. It's like man, those are those precious gems. Yeah, a shield, a shield maiden. Without so, a without a doubt, yeah. you know. I mean, same thing with like Lindsay. Lindsay has been with me through thick and thin through my entire military career, and now she's um, being s- super supportive of this entire fishing career as well. And most of like my fishing career um, also would not be I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for her because she is a huge part of uh, taking our kids fishing, which is like what majority of people know us by. And so my wife is also an avid angler 
great fly fisherman. I mean, she's caught every sports slash game fish within the inshore waters of like the southeastern United States. And um, I don't know any other woman that would go out there eight hours a day with me and go <laughs> fish or go out in the woods and sit there for five hours and look at a bunch of squirrels running around, not see a single deer, and then go back out there the next day with me again. You know what I'm, I mean? It's it's incredible. And um, I'm very thankful of that because that's a lot of the people that I take fishing for a living. It's they get on my boat and it's always the same. It's the same shell of a person that gets on there. It's it's like the very wealthy CEO and goes, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so goddamn glad to be away from my kids and my wife. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm standing on the back of the boat, pushing these people around. I'm thinking to myself, man, if you only knew how, like, you should be grateful where you're at, you know, because I mean, you could think of a million examples I got to know, I know kids without dads. I know kids without moms, you know, I know women who lost their husbands and now they're, they are now trudging through this life, this new world, you know, as a single mom trying to take care of like two kids and I, yeah. I, I, can, I it irritates the living shit well, out of it, me when I hear people say this. Hundred percent. I mean, it's not about the problem. Isn't your wife and your kids? The problem's you, dude. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. You know. And I think when you have something like that and you you know it, you do everything in your power to protect it. Yeah. It's and that's because I you know I'm as you know too coming up in our communities yep. right and we're around a bunch of different kind of dudes and like I had you know good friends that would go out and cheat and do, yeah. do all this stuff, which I'm like, Hey, whatever, you know, that's, that's you, but I will not like even put myself in that situation because I know what I have at home. Yeah. Like, and I'm not going to jeopardize that in any form or fashion. Now, you know, I want to go and say, you know, that we had the old school saying in the teams, which was like drink, fight, fuck. Right. That's yep. what, that's what we do when we're off duty. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, and I made it known. I was like, I will not like cheat. Oh, absolutely. I and I won't even, like, let myself come close to, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to flirt around or whatever. Yep. No, I'll drink and fight. Yep. And that's where, where I was like, <laughs> that's where I'm with you guys. But other than that, yeah. you know, and even that can jeopardize as well, right? And, you know, I, I put my wife through the, the ringer yeah. a little bit. But that's also why, I mean, she stuck with me and um, through all of that. And just like I'm sure, you know, you've had your issues going through. You know, we all do when we – Everyone's got a their woman issues. that sticks with you through that is it's gold. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, anybody who, and it's not like they wait around, you know, a lot of like people are just like, Oh yeah, you're just at home waiting for me to come back. I mean, I, I, when I was deployed in Afghanistan, number one, I didn't think I was coming back just because of the amount of stuff that was going on at that time frame, the amount of people killed in action, just like the op tempo, like, was pretty high and so I went ahead and mentally told myself that there's a good chance that I'm not coming back right then I looked at it after this whole thing happened and it was probably like years you don't really like start to process a lot of like what happens in war and like the after effects until years on later on down the road people people fail to tell you that this stuff doesn't start coming out until way later on down the road and so one day I was sitting there I was I was probably like laying in bed sitting there thinking to myself like damn dude I wonder what was going through Lindsay's mind not having talked to me for like a whole week straight. Or I wonder what it was like sitting here thinking to myself, is my husband ever going to come back? And thank God this was before we had kids. Cause like I couldn't even imagine having kids and then not having a dad home to help out yeah. with that. 
you know, which is a completely different conversation. But yeah, putting yourself in your wife's shoes in terms of what they had to deal with while you were gone, that's important to think about and to process because it makes that appreciation, you know, very, very on the table in front of your, in front of your wife. Cause I know of a lot of wives and I've seen a lot of wives who resent their husband's military career. You're always gone. You never help with the kids, you know? And I'm just like, man, like there's a 50, 50 here. You have to understand like what your husband's doing. But then at the same time, you have to be mature and you can't discount what your wife's doing back at home. Yeah. Cause it's a whole other war being waged, especially when you have kids being a single mom. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, I, I think Andrea says it, you know, she was on here and it's, you know, it rings true. If you're going to be married to a, a man that's in special operations, especially over the past two decades, yeah. it's like, you better be an independent woman. Without a doubt, you, because you, you better not be dependent on him. You better find a way to have your own life while he's gone to do, you know, uh, while taking care of, you know, holding down the fort, taking care of the kids, but find something that you can delve into and that that's that's your life while he's gone absolutely Um, and you could probably attest to this too even when you are home are you really home no and that's well that's the other sad reality which and that that's like you know i look back now and that's you know i i don't i don't think i want to say i have any regrets but i do think if i did or maybe I do, you know, maybe it is a regret is when I was home, I wasn't home. I was, you know, you're, yeah, I'm with the kids and I'm doing, going through the motions of like, Oh yeah, I'm home. Daddy's home. But in my head, I was like, still, I'm, what's the next thing the team needs for me? Yeah. What, what am I doing next to go back to war? I mean, that is a constant, right? Constant. Yeah. It's like this never ending vicious circle that you get sucked into. It's you show up to your team, you start training to prepare to go to, execute whatever mission you got in whatever place that you're going to. And the minute you come back, it's, Hey, you're going to a school and then you're doing pre-mission training for the next deployment. And the next thing you know, four years goes by and you say to yourself, Oh my God, what, well, what's happening within my own house? And again, it's even worse when you have kids because there's so many dynamic problems that go on with raising children as they go through life. And then you got all your stuff going on. You know, you got your team, your other family. I mean, yep. that's that's hard to to be able to balance, and most people can't balance it. That's the problem. And then most people aren't honest about the realities of it. And I'll tell you, I mean, that was I think at one point during my career. You know, Andrew and I were having it out one time. Uh, you know, probably due to some whatever the stressors were. Yep. Um, and she was like, "You put the teams before us." And that was probably like one of the most hurtful things. Oh yeah. But the most truthful thing, Mm -hmm. because in the end I was like, I do. Yeah. And I finally verbalized and admitted it to her. I was like, yes, the teams come before you and that's the way it is. And I, it hurt to say, but it was the reality. And I think if you can admit that, yeah, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds and as, you know, maybe as, as hurtful it is, it, it is as it is to say to your spouse, if she can accept that and still thrive, then you have a shield maiden. Oh, That's absolutely. Like, I am here with you and I understand that this is your job. This is your, pretty much your identity. Yeah. Um, this is what you were made to do. And so I will support you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, 
and again, you had kids. I'm in a completely separate boat. I didn't have as much stressors as you did going through this whole evolution within special operations. We were really young when I first got to the teams, and it was just my wife and I. And the stressors weren't, um, there weren't as many of those for us. You know, so I guess every person kind of has, and you can even outside the military, if you look at it, if you're in a position of like respond, like high responsibility, like take like CEO or something like that, even those people aren't mentally there with their families, you know, like they're still in the country and everything like that. I mean, hell, even being an instructor at, at the dive school in Key West, I mean, there were time frames where I worked more, actually, without a doubt, I worked more down at that schoolhouse I can relate. than I ever did on a team. Oh, my goodness. And sometimes it was 16-hour days, three days a week, which you just, hey, man up, suck it up, and and help the boys out. That's the only reason why I did it. Yep. But then you're like, oh, my God, like my wife's at home. Like I, I need to be at dinner, or I need to take my kid to like soccer or something like that. But you can't because you're the primary instructor of this block right here. And that's the reality as well. Like, you know, in the, in the Navy or in the teams, we have, you know, it's called shore duty, right? Yep. So you – do whatever X amount of platoons. And then they're like, Hey, you need to go to shore duty yep. and do, and what they, you need to give back to the teams by going to instruct or yep. whatever. That's right. And when you get there, you know, shore duty, when you haven't done shore duty before, it sounds like, okay, I'm going to have time at home. And that is the last thing that you're getting. And I, I will say the CO, when I was doing uh, I was a first phase instructor. It was like halfway through my, my, uh, time there he said the most honest he's like there's no such thing as short duty yeah there's and any anything you do he's like you will never be home never no matter what you're doing that's right the teams will suck you dry at whatever you're doing and you have to realize that um and so yeah i mean that was probably the most frustrating thing for andrea too is because it was finally like hey i'm going to be an instructor i'm going to be home home. and then i was (laughs) probably gone more than I was when I was at team. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is good stuff. Like we're not bitching or complaining. This is good for people. This is the reality of it. And this is the, this is the stuff that people don't get to hear, you know, again, like I don't have a single bad thing to say about my time uh, at seventh group special operations. I was, I was given every opportunity to succeed and fail um, at seventh group. And my leadership treated me pretty damn good um, over there. But, again, I feel like some of these realities need to be more apparent for some of the people that are coming in because a lot of guys are set up for failure when they come in. They, they're not mentally prepared for what they thought. But what they thought it was going to be is not the reality of no. it. You know? And a perfect example of that would be when it is time for instructor time, that is code for you're going to work more than you worked on the team yeah Uh, that's well i'm glad it's not just where i was i'm glad it's over where you are too oh yeah (laughs) i think there's something though too like when i was when i was starting my first not exactly correlation but when i was starting my first startup it i literally 24 7 i mean it was i was thinking about it i was doing it even though i was at home the entire time we had baby number one at the time yeah right and i was at home but i was i mean it was Literally, we had left both of our jobs, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm 
Entrepreneurship is probably one of the hardest and most stressful things to mm-hmm. to start. But like it, my, even though I was there, I wasn't present. Yes, and I think that's for me. That's the word, the 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 difference maker. Like I can spend a one one hour of just being solid and present with my wife or with my kids. Yep, and that one hour just present and there is so impact it's not necessarily like i can do more in one hour than i could do in like three days worth of not being present check, yep. like i'm not really giving them my yeah. time and presence really and it as is, a man i think your presence is one of the things that's most, oh, needed most important in a family like actual quality time like mm-hmm. and again we all hear that oh just spend quality time with your kids um <laughs> i'm a family man like to the max and i've started to to look at it and the reason why i said entrepreneurship one of the hardest things because like like I'm in that phase right now, um, trying to get my guide business on its feet here from moving from the keys. And I'm constantly crunching on that computer or I'm like running trips and then kids come up to me and I'm like, Oh yeah, like playing and stuff like that. But I like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about them, Mm -hmm. but the times that I am looking at them, verbalizing, looking in their eyes that, they start to smile and they're like, Oh, like dad's actually here. Yeah, Cause they know playing with me when you're not giving them. Oh, without a either. doubt. They, they won't say anything, but yep. they know it. They know. know. Yeah. And you know how you notice it is they'll come up to you and they'll, and they'll, they'll try and interact with you. And when they, they, when they don't get that receive mode from you in a, in an equal fashion, they go run up to mom, you know? And then you look, I started looking and been like, wow, like they're interacting with her completely different. And they look like they're genuinely having fun. And then I started to realize, well, that's that's on me. It's because I'm not giving I'm giving them fifty percent. Yeah. Not giving them a hundred, ten percent. And I'm still, you know, and I I still don't have it figured out all the way either. Yeah. Like I, I still catch myself doing that. Um, which I've had to really try and balance out the time with my family and then also I'm still doing the entrepreneurial yep, stuff, right? That's right. I'm at the beginning of it, and I, I find it very difficult, uh, especially working from home. Yep, is really hard for me because I'm just accustomed to. I leave home, go to the team, mm-hmm. do my work, and then I come home. And home is a place of like respite, and like yep. I don't have to deal with work. And so now that I'm at home, not only does my ADD kick in, and I'm like, oh, yeah. like, but then I I I made a promise to myself, especially right before I got out, I was like, I am going to be the best like dad I like I want to just be home with the yep. kids right which is not a reality either right mm-hmm. you still have to work provide that's right and that's where I, I'm, I have a hard time doing it but I it's still like I make it effort more than I'd have before where I'm like all right dude I don't need to do this I'm yep. going with my kids and doing this and then work can come later absolutely yeah and like you could both agree I mean the most important part of this is understanding that this problem exists. Yes. 100%. That's the most important. It's like AA or addiction. Exactly. Like half of it is just like recognizing hey, admitting it. Admitting and knowing, hey, exactly. you got a problem. Yep. And, and to be able to see it and going, wait, hey, I'm checked out. Yep. Right? Like my head is not there. And and it, what's hard with it being from home, like it, I, I didn't realize how much it changed for me once we got an office. The, mm-hmm. the minute I got an office, I actually went – a buddy of mine was like, come up to my office. Like, I got office at home. So like, just come up for the day. I went up there for the day. And just that time up there, I was like, wow, this is work. I, it's like, yeah. you know, I can, I can just zero in, do my work. 
And then when I came home, I was like, wow, like I can separate these two. Yeah. And I think for men, it's to have your own space that yes. you go to and you work and then to be able to come back. Now, sometimes like you got to shoot an email or whatever, but otherwise if it's just at home, it in little spots of time, it becomes like a default yes. where it's like, okay, I got 10 minutes. Okay. Answer emails, do something, you know, and you yep. go, you just default it to fill in gaps and you're never really like get out of it. You're, you're coming in. That and is out so of true. That is I, literally what I'm experiencing yeah. right now. I feel like women are better at like separating. Cause they can work like I can, Andrea can work from home. She, I can watch her sit there and, mm-hmm. you know, be on the computer, answer emails, but then also go right from that to like, okay, what do you like? Go right to the kids and be completely yeah. invested in them. And then jump right back to like another thing she's got to do where I'm like, dude, I, how the hell are you pulling that off? <laughs> yeah. Where I have, I'm like, if I'm focused on something, I have to get this done and don't distract me from yeah. it because the second oh, I'm distracted, yeah. I'm not coming back to it. You know? Well, we're very regimented in a sense from our routines that we've grown up in. You know, I don't know if it's a man or woman thing, but coming from the community that we came from, we are set in our little routine in our yeah. ways. I still get up. I don't have to get up at 4 a.m. Well, I do sometimes depending on like when I'm running trips. But regardless, I'm getting up at 4 a.m. And what's the first thing you want to do when you get up? Let's go work out. Yeah. Because that's what we did over and over and over and over and over again. And then from there, you're on to the next thing and you're on to the next thing. And then you go home and it's rest recovery. But now when you're given the freedom to decide your own schedule, yep. it's like this weird, okay, I'm still getting up at 4 a.m., but now I'm sitting around. I don't have to be anywhere per se, but yeah. what am I doing with my <laughs> – then then you, then that turns into, man, I've got this time. What I need to be working. I need to be doing something, you know? And you're you're so used to being a driven person to complete tasks. That will never leave you. Ever. No. You know, and that's a hard thing to be able to manage when you're given your own schedule. Yeah. You know? What What's interesting about it, so, like, when I, f- when, when literally the day that I quit our, my job and my wife had already quit hers, she yeah. was about to have the first baby, we, I, I wake up in the morning and, I mean, we live, lived in North Dallas and just a nice little home. Yep. Half- Halfway ghetto, not too bad. Yep. Um, but I had this little room in the back that I dedicated as my office. And so I go in there and I'm like, all right, it's 8 a.m. And I go in there and I'm in like shorts and a t shirt. And I'm like, okay, like I have the whole day. There's this big sense of freedom. Yeah. But then it also this weight of responsibility, especially, especially when you're pre, um, when you, you're not making enough exactly. to cover your income yet. Yep. And so you're going, okay, I have to, in, in for months and months and months was figuring out, I spent so much time on, okay, there's a, it's not what I have to do. There's a thousand things I should do. Yep. Which one's the most important? Which one's the top priority? Which one do I do right now? Right. Is just organizing, prioritizing like what I do and creating yeah. myself my own schedule. So I I would end up starting seven thirty. I you know 
I'd be in the shower by 7.30, and I would get dressed up. Like, not hugely. I've never hugely gotten dressed up ever. Yep. But, like, you know, i put on jeans and a nice shirt, and I'd go into my office to yeah. start. And then, you know, throughout the day, when you're working from home, it's like I was hiding from kids trying to take, you know, calls from, like, professionals. Like, in closets, like, literally hiding from them, trying to, like, <laughs> There's no escaping calls. them. Yeah. I know. And they're, they're like. They're going to start looking for yeah, it. Yeah, it's like the shining. They're oh, like, yeah. where are where you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They know when someone disappears. And when mom and dad disappear, it's like they got the sixth sense. They're and they, like, they know when you're doing something important. And, oh, yeah. like, you know. They start talking louder. Yeah. The minute you take that phone call, like, I'll be driving down the road. Someone will, will call me about fishing. They'll be like, hey, man, I'm trying to book a trip. And then. My kids, they hear me talk on the phone, and they they elevate. Yeah, they elevate. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> hey, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I found it to get what I've done is like task prioritization, right? Same sort of like what you just talked about. So, because I'll have days where I'm like, dude, I don't have anything to do tomorrow. Yeah, you know, but that's like some of the worst days for me because right. I'll still get up. Same thing as you know, I work out in the morning. I'm like, all right, I got that done. And then it's sort of like, what the hell do I do now? So now I've I've gotten better at before I go to bed the night before, I'm like, all right, here's the four things I'm going to execute tomorrow. Nice. And if I can execute those four things, that's a good day. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, and I don't – you also want to be careful with oversaturating yourself. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to do these 20 things tomorrow, which you know – you're not going to get done. Yeah. Like, you're going to get half of it done. And I got – I mean, I remember being at the team. I don't know how it was, you know, at ODAs, but, like, we have these morning meetings, mm-hmm. you know, and you go in and the master chief and CEO are in there yep. and they're like, hey, boom, boom, boom. These – all these things have to get done. Everything was, like, urgent, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you better get – and it, it was, right. like, a list of 100 things. And what I learned from – and it's, I got this from some great leaders that I had in charge of me, whatever. I'd, I'd watch them and they would just pick three things. Mm-hmm. And they're like – this is what we're getting done. That's yeah, right. They gave us 20 things. Those aren't getting done regardless. So let's focus on these three things that matter that are going to move us forward. And then we'll pick the next three things for the next day. Cause either way, we're still going to be here. Those 20 things That's are still right. going to need to get done. You know, mm-hmm. and if it's not one of those, it's something else. Exactly. That comes down. Yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely right. And it's cool talking about this. Cause this is something that I'm like living right now. Luckily for me, I've been building, um, my, my guide business while I was in the army. And that's part of the reason why I took that instructor time down in Key West. Cause that's where, I mean, the elite of fishing guides come from the Florida Keys. I mean, it, it is that the fishery is a very technical, hard fishery down there. I mean, you have to, you have to be on your a game every single day, you know? And like San Francisco with tech. It's like the keys. Yeah, it is fishing. the keys for fishing, for flats know. fishing, yeah. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to to go down there, and it was actually how how that all transpired was I was at a point in my, in my special forces career where I needed to decide what I was going to do. And so I assessed for a different special operations, and I did that twice. And I was told no. It's like the first time I've ever been told no. And it's so is it a failure on my I feel like it's a failure that I'm not able to do it. But it was also a blessing in disguise because it kind of evolved the next chapter of my life, right? And so when I was told that I would never be able to work at that specific organization, 
I had to think of plan B, C, D, and E. And I said, well, I could take instructor time, you know, because I already knew at that point that the war was starting to dwindle down. Um, it was turning into a garrison military. Mm-hmm. And I had two kids now and a wife that needed me dearly. And I've always tried to put family at the very tip top of my life. And that's when all of this started to come to fruition. It was like, hey, dude, this is the writing on the wall that you need to start thinking about other things outside of the army. Because one of my sayings is if you don't, if you're not truly invested in it, or if you don't love what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it, you know? And that's kind of like where I got in, in my military career. After I was told, like, hey, you won't be working here, it took some of the wind out of my sails. And not only that, I wasn't very happy with some of the things that were going on within the military in general. And so Lindsay, my wife, was like, Scott, if you don't love it, you don't, don't do it, you know? And that's when I started formulating the plan on how can I make an exit out, you know? Keep the respect of my brother's and my peers, and then transition successfully into a new new job. How, how many years did you have in when you decided to get out? So that would have been 2019 is when it really happened. Yeah. So quite pretty recently. So you were in what, uh, so, 16 years at that point? or No, 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 no. Way, uh, way less than that, like 12. Okay. You know, but not, even not so, even. That's, that's past the point of. Oh, that's past the point of no return. Because once, you know, I, you know uh, Dave. So, like, if you're in, you get to the 10-year mark, that's usually where you're like, hey, dude, yeah. if you don't like, like, get out if you don't want to do this. But if you go past the 10-year mark, then you're like, well, you might as well stay in for 20 because you're already on your way to retirement. So you're getting right. out at 12 you're is lifer. a big decision. Yeah. Like, yeah, so all said and done, it will be, like, 13 years and some change, like, close to 14 years um, for me. And I've never been, like – that dude that followed people's career paths, like there, like, you know, there yeah, is yeah. a career path for us, like in, as an NCO. And for me, and this is kind of like looked down upon in some, in some, in some people's eyes, if I didn't want to do it, man, I didn't, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Like I'm not a yes man, yeah. you know, like if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not talking about turning down deployments. I went on every single deployment I was asked to go on. But when it was time to come back and it was like, hey, Scott, we need you to go do X, Y, and Z over on, like, the other side of the United States. It's like, dude, I just got here to this instructor billet to spend time with my family. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we need you to go over there. And finally I got to the point where I was just like, look, man, I've just spent X number of years rowing for y'all. You know, what is so important about this? Because my, my family is suffering right now. Like there's no dad, there's no husband, you know, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. And we did. It's cool. We had that conversation. I put it all on the table in front of my leaders and they said, you know what, dude, we get it. And I think a lot of the guys are not as con, not confrontational, but they're not as upfront as they should be. And then they suffer later on down the road. Exactly. And I also think that the leadership is not looking at it in that way where they're like, oh, we're going to take this guy uh, away yeah. from us. Because they're, they're like, hey, they're being told, you need to fill this exactly. And so yes. they're like, all right, we'll just take Scott. 
and put them over here, not looking into your personal life. Exactly. And you know, it's and I, I'm just not faulting them either because yeah. they they have a job to do. Exactly. But it's a, it takes standing up and explaining to them, being like, "Hey, man, my fam, like you just said, my family's suffering. I've deployed this many times. Yeah. I need to be at home." And then you know, most of the time they're like, "All right, yeah." And it's like, well, "Dude, take a." Is there anybody else like a single dude who's not? And that's to- literally what they did. And you yeah, know, and I'm awesome. very grateful for for that the leadership that I had at that point because there's a lot of leaders within the regiment that would have been like, "Yeah, we'll figure it out." Yeah, that's oh, like the well, quintessential saying. We'll figure it out. You're the multi tool of saw. Figure it out. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? We're not a piece of equipment here. We're human beings. Okay, and. At the end of the day, the only human, other human beings that I'm going to have around in my life are my family. And if I treat them like shit now, yeah. what what's going to be in store for me to 10 years later on down there? Say I stay and do a full 20. You know what I mean? Like, this, you think you're going to have a family waiting for you? Yeah. You or know? do you think the soft community is going to be there when you're 60 years old? No, they're not going to give a shit about no. you. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. And guess who's left with you? Your wife and kids who you just ignored exactly. over the you know past twenty yeah. years. So So my, I guess my whole point to that whole thing was um people need to be more upfront. Like men need to be more upfront because as <laughs> people look at operators and they think, Oh, that's an A type guy. You know, those are some of the most quiet, you know, in this because you're always being assessed by your peers. <laughs> yeah. And nobody wants to look like a piece of shit and say no. But there are points in your career where you have to put yourself first, look at your family, and then say, you know what, Sergeant Major or Sir, I I just don't think that I can take this on right now. And we're so used to just putting our head down and nugging away that a lot of guys get themselves into trouble later on oh, when yeah. when they sacrifice their family. And then <laughs> at the end of the day, the army isn't going to be there for you. Nope. You thanks, know? thanks for coming out. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but anyway, so yeah. So in Key West, I took that instructor position, you know, to, to get some time back with my family and then start our new endeavor. And so that being, being a full-time fishing guide, which was one of my goals in 2008, but due to like the recession, I wasn't able to make it happen and I'm a very prideful person. I didn't want to take any money from my parents to go start that. The money was there to go invest in, in whatever opportunity that I wanted to, whether it was college or whatever. I had a very, I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful for the upbringing that I had. Um, it was the complete opposite of what my dad's upbringing was, you know, so I'm very, very fortunate and very thankful for that. But at its core, I didn't want any help. And I've always kind of been that way. There's pros and cons to that. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of pros me, and cons. Me and Eddie may know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I nugged away and I wanted to do it on my own. And uh, I still achieve my goals. This is just not the time frame that, that, that I wanted to achieve them in, you know. You see that? Did you see that? Yeah, maybe maybe pride, but also do you see there was wisdom in that of like, hey, that I didn't want to take that money. Yeah. Right? When, we, when me and my wife first got married, her her dad said, hey, we're going to pay for the rest of her college. Literally the day after he got back from the honeymoon, he called her and said, turns out we're not going to pay. And we were broke. Yep. And we're both getting our master's. She calls me crying. And I'm like, whew. Like, no, this is a good thing. Yeah. 
this is a good thing. We don't want we don't want ties outside of us. Like we need to make it with just us. Build it. Build it from the ground up. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to be that guy who just had it handed to him. I've never I've always had the opportunity to have things handed to me, but I've always chose. Well, for whatever reason, I, I think it's due to the work ethic that my dad instilled in me. I, he always expected me to work, you know, and I think that's where that stemmed from. But um, so, yeah, I took that time, my weekends, you know, when I wasn't working at the dive school to start building that fishing guide business. And um, from what I was told, I did it the right way because there's an etiquette to doing that to doing that specific thing in the Florida Keys, you know. There's a lot of do's and don'ts within the fishing guide world, and especially in that location. And so I'm just happy to have had the help that I had there um, from like a handful of people and um, passing me trips um, because I didn't take any trips from any of the tackle shops or anything like that. I built everything over Instagram, which is free because that's all I could do. You know, I didn't have the money to invest into Google SEO. Um, I spent some money on like a website. Uh, But what I did was I, I nugged away on my own, utilized my like small network that I had. And then that proliferated. And so I'm I'm glad that I did it the route. Um, Things aren't going to happen as quick for me like it does other people. But at the end of the day, I would rather them happen slowly. Me learn along the way like we always do, and uh, I'll have more satisfaction at the end of the day doing yeah. it on my own. and I feel like that's how you become a master at your craft anyways. Is Absolutely. You have to nug through it. You have to mess up. You have to, you know, learn from your mistakes, fix yep. them, but then also have the successes that come along with it due to your own hard work to become someone who's, like, a professional and also – someone that's, like I said, a master of your craft, and you know all the ins and outs by that point. Because if it's handed to you, you're just like, all right. like, yeah. But you really don't know what just got handed to you. No. You're mm-hmm. just taking it and going yeah. with it, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. So and that's like one thing that I like about um, – I needed it. The other part of it was I needed another challenge in my life, and I think there's no harder thing than being an entrepreneur. I looked at my dad. He used to build a spaceship – um, parts for NASA. So he was a machinist and he left that business, moved all the way across the United States and opened up a body shop, which is still there in Southern Pines today. Mm. I mean, it's been in business for over a damn 40 years now. And so with that being said, to just pick up your family with no savings, move to the other side of the United States and then turn a hobby into a job, I mean, I look at that as being harder than being a Green Beret. You know, yeah. obviously, like, there are there are harder parts to being a, a GB than a body shop owner, but to just, there's no help there. Yeah. You know, in, in it's a, a diff- different kind of hard. Yeah. It's a different right. kind of hard. You know, there's no financial guarantee there. But what, what, what you bet on as an entrepreneur and what you begin to, like, you'll have to, like growing is a confidence within yourself, your own gut, and to know that, hey, I don't know all the things that are coming, yeah. but this is a good enough bet, and I know me, that I'll figure this out along the way, mm-hmm. and that I'll do whatever I need to do to make this successful. Make it happen. And I think that's why a lot of like 
people from like the soft community are very successful in, in endeavors outside of it is because they are challenge-driven individuals beforehand, and then they know that X, Y, and Z needs to be done. They're going to make it happen. You yeah. know, I mean, you've made it happen. You know, like it's it needs to be done. Yeah. And there's nothing. I like to tell myself there's nothing harder than what I've already done. Is it true or not? I'm not really sure. I feel like, like you said, I, but I, I like don't to know. believe it. <laughs> I feel like there's different levels of toughness or or being hard. Like. Yeah, what our careers, yes, it was hard, physically hard, mentally hard. Um, but then now getting out, being an on, you know, trying to be an entrepreneur, yeah. trying to have a successful business, that's a whole other realm of difficulties and being hard because, we, like you said, we're regimented. Mm-hmm. And you get out, you're institutionalized, you're like, okay, like I go to work, I know what the tasks I have because they're given to me. Yeah. But now you have to formulate your own tasks, that's right, your own drive, your own purpose. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I'm still working through it, but I, I wouldn't be able to do it without the help. Like we talked about earlier from my wife and Mm -hmm. also knowing who to surround yourself with and be like, okay, like, you know, I have Dave here to bounce questions off of, or other, other guys in our communities that are successful, which they'll give, you know, advice or whatever you need to surround yourself with those people to create the best pathway to success. Absolutely. Right? Although, yeah. I mean, there is a, there is some benefit to taking the rough side of the mountain, which I'll always take. Um, whether I do it on purpose or not, I, yeah. I end up. It's probably taking, not done on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes though, like some of those guys, well, I, 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 I think, I, I believe this is true. Like some of them, sometimes it's the wrong mountain. Right. So, mm-hmm. so having guys that are, I mean, it's, Dude, it, he took me and another guy out and did, like, just simple one-on-one basics of clearing a room. Yeah. Right? Which for us was, I mean, we're, like, fumbling around. Like, we're, we, that's not our strength, right? Yeah. Right? Well, like, other guys that have been entrepreneurs, started companies, multiple companies, uh, been creative with finance and investing and all, I mean there's so much to it and there's like when you've done that for years and years and years that's your strength right yeah. and so if soft guys they don't need motivation right what they need is some like experience some guidance they don't need you to do it for them yep. but if they're surrounded by mentors or peers yep that they're going hey they can bounce stuff off of and guys can go wait a minute, like, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to do this. Hey, instead, like, give a little bit of guidance and some help around stuff. Yeah. That's the first thing I did. Once I got my feet underneath me, I was probably, it was probably, like, I don't know, like, uh, two years into, like, instructor time over there, and and I started to actually get a lot of trips coming in. Uh, I started surrounding myself with subject matter experts in that field, you know, and, and that's probably... One of our biggest strengths, I would say, is being able to admit that you don't know what the hell you're doing and seeking out someone that does, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me, it wasn't fishing itself, like the actual action of fishing. A fishing guy doesn't fish. You know, they're on the back, down there in the Keys, they're on the back of a a technical polling skiff pushing a boat with a giant 24-foot-long carbon pole. And your angler's on the front of that boat, and you're just giving him a distance and direction, you know, to where the fish is coming from. Because you can see it. it's all visual fishing. It's all sight fishing. So the fishing part is, 
I don't want to say it's easy, but it yeah. is such a small thing in the bigger part of what being a fishing guide is. Mm-hmm. And that's majority of it is networking, figuring out where you're going to get your trips from, figuring out the digital infrastructure to be able to get your name out there, utilizing social media, you know, without uh, ruining your reputation, you know, because like, again, it's a very taboo thing being a fishing guide and there's do's and don'ts, man. Like you don't, it, it's, it's as simple as you don't take a picture of you and your client with identifying features in the back. You know, and then post that for the world to see. <laughs> and all the other fishing guides are do, doing fishing the same area, and you just screwed everybody. It's yeah. a little, that's like the best example that I could think of, you know. But there's a little do's and don'ts. And surrounding yourself with people that know the game, you know. And it's, and it's not necessarily, again, it's not fishing. Like, hey, like, I never seeked out any other fishing guide that said, hey, man, like, what spots are good around here to fish? You know, like, where do I need to go? You don't ask that. You figure that out on your own. Yeah. But... I would go up to him and be like, hey, man, when you have, um, like, where where do you get your trips from? How are you being successful in generating clientele? You know, is it your website? Is it this, that? Like, it's it's stuff like that that I but seek when, to help When out. you have a group of different guys, right? Like, if I was your advisory board or, yeah. like, I'm on your, your just your network yep. and your network and go – Hey, I'm looking at dude, like dropping a hundred grand into SEO. Yep. I'm gonna be like, no, no, effing what? Don't drop a dollar into it yet. Yep. Right. That's right. That's later on. Yeah, maybe we could do little bits, but honestly, most of SEO is a scam. It's you know, yeah. It's like most of the main things that matter, you can do pretty much for free. Yeah. And so, Absolutely. like guys like that that care for you, they want to see you successful. There's a lot of guys that don't want people to be successful. Like Eddie, some of Eddie's success that he shared with me pumps me up. I'm like, dude, kill it. Like, like I want to see, I want to see my friends, especially my real close ones. I want to see them make millions. That's right. Like I want to see them be not only just survive as a business, but absolutely thrive Thrive. with no limit. And later on, you know, that, that can, the tribe will help the tribe out Mm -hmm. later on down the road as well. hundred percent. Um, one of my one of my best advisors was a client and still still is a client of mine fishing in the keys this guy fished with me for 3 4 4 plus years while i was down there and now he's helping me build my digital infrastructure his name is dave schlaus he lives over here in santa rosa oh, as cool. well i didn't even know him from here yeah. we met in the keys and so when i came back up here you know oh, i mean nice. oh, it, it was awesome and um He's been one of my greatest assets and a dear friend, you know, and I'm and I'm probably not going to be as successful as I am now if it wasn't for him, yeah. you know. But it's it's cool building the network, you know. Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things is is going through meeting all these people, and then at the end of the day, quality will always attract quality. Mm. And so when you sit down, it's like, oh man, like this is a good group of dudes right here. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that I was scared of leaving t- the, the, the world of soft was finding genuine dudes that wanted to, to not complete a mission, but make an end goal happen. You know, it's, it's hard to find people like that, that are that driven to, to go out and complete X, Y, and Z, whether it's open a business or, or do whatever. I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to find those people, but I, it's like the exact opposite. And the strangest yes. thing is I find these people on freaking Instagram, <laughs> the most shallow venue of 
communicating and, and meeting people. But I swear, man, I have met some of the best people on this planet through that. And I truly think that it's from, um, I don't fake my social media. I am who I am. And a lot of people know me through it. I was just about to say, I am as straight as an arrow as you can get. What you get is what you get. There's no filter. This is it. Shoot them straight. Shoot them straight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so with that being said, I'm not there for followers. I'm not trying to, to be like a, 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 I don't character. Yeah. I'm not, I don't put, I don't invest my time into likes and followers. I invest my time in the infinitesimal amount of people that want to help and support me, you know, and every single one of those people I've come into contact with, I mean, they might as well be team guys. I mean, they are quality individuals to go out on a, on their own for a complete stranger. I mean, Dave didn't need to help me, you know, but he believed in what I did and he liked my character. You well, know, when, when you've had success and especially, I think that it's uh, underrated that there's a lot of biz- guys that entrepreneurs or businessmen that they've had success. They, they're, they're, they're not as, they're not worried about money so much. Yeah. They've managed their finances. Well, they've grown wealth. They're like, Hey, I'm not going to like be setting these markers. Okay. I need to get another million, you know, before I die. Yeah. They're, they're, they're looking at quality and they're how they spend their time mm-hmm. and they love to help other people get successful, especially guys that have served our great country mm-hmm. and have made the infrastructure so that kept it safe so that we can make businesses. Yeah. Right. And so they would love, and it's not just money. It's honestly like the most stuff you really get from some of these guys, their expertise, their guidance, their way of thinking, mm-hmm. the way that they think larger. Like a lot of guys that I've talked to that have come out of the military and I've, I've done whiteboarded sessions with them trying yep. to help them. They, they tend to just like think on a smaller scale of what they can do mm-hmm. instead of understanding, whoa, no, like why would you do, like you could make this into a platform that like, and then they start to light up and you just yep. help them guide them and give them some vision. Guys would love to do well, that. Well, yeah, you got to get them out of that fixed mindset, which I have that, you know, I had a fixed mindset when I got out and it was the same, like, well, I can't do that. Like I can do this and this, yeah. but, and it's being able to sort of break away from what you did in the past mm-hmm. and being like, dude, you can do whatever you want. It, yeah. it takes a little while to get there for something. But for me, it did. And I know for a lot of individuals it does because you're so – it's been, you know, especially if you did 20, 30 years, yep. you're like, oh, shit, like exactly. now what? And Like Morgan it, Freeman coming out of the prison, uh, Shawshank <laughs> I mean, It is almost <laughs> like that in a way where it's it's like a you've been in prison a little bit for and you're institutionalized in a certain way, and then you come out and you're like, okay, how the hell does, like, all this work? I, I didn't know a thing about business. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know – I literally was the Mark One mod. Like, yeah. I'm a warfighter. That's what I know. Yeah, I'm very Just good at tactics. I'm very, yeah, I'm good at this. Um, this is all second nature. But anything outside of that is the land of the unknown. Yeah, you know, and that was a detriment to myself. You know, because I didn't. I just focused in mm-hmm. when I was doing the job. But now, yeah, you get out and you're you have to surround yourself, like you said, with people that do know the how business works, how to thrive, and you're just take advice from them yep. and apply it. And also allow yourself to fail. Like fail forward. Yeah. 
That's probably a really good point, especially like going, hey, I have to execute this perfectly. And then really good business guys are like, no, no, let's fail and let's fail yeah. fast so we can figure this out. So we can figure it yeah. out. That's right. Yeah, I'm very lucky in the sense of like both my parents were entrepreneurs, so I saw the downfalls and the successes through, and I saw some major downfalls, you know. And um, I learned from those. I learned from my parents' failures without even really taking it, taking it in. Yeah. Because now I'm looking at it, I'm looking back at those scenarios. I'm saying, well, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm learning from their failures, which which put me uh put me a little above the. I, I don't know. I'm at the power curve. I'm not behind it yet, but I'm like right you're there. You're right there. I, I'm right there. So, so what? So so you're here now. So mm-hmm. you're down. You how long ago did you move here? So I just moved here two months ago. Uh, I bought a house uh, eight months ago, and I moved my family here. Uh, just so they could get acquainted, back acquainted. And so I used to live here back in 2013, obviously I lived here and then uh, moved here in 2019 from here down to the keys. And then now I'm back and a bold move on my part because I have to rebuild everything as far as clientele, because the keys, people go to the keys to fish specifically for that fishery. This fishery here. It's not a renowned fishery. It's not It's not that it's a bad one, you know. It's just there's nothing as special as the Florida Keys. You know, it's crystal clear waters. Fish, yeah. fish swimming around everywhere. It's very visual. Like, people pay a lot of money to go down there. So the clientele that I generated, a lot of them wouldn't – it's not that they wouldn't come here and fish me here. It's just they would rather fish the Keys, you know. So having to rebuild that is, like, my primary task right now rebuilding clientele here in this area yeah so that's like my primary goal right now but so over the past two months how's that how's that been going it's been going slow and steady and that's due to other guides helping me out so there's a guide in panama city who's a retired coast guard rescue swimmer and uh he's been helping me out um if he's like double booked he'll pass me trips over here and so he's been a huge Huge help. I'm very grateful for him for helping me out. And um, other than that, we're in a really slow season right now. I mean, you yeah. experienced it. I mean, this heat, you know, there's not a lot of people that want to spend time yeah. out there. So <laughs> it doesn't really pick up until like October again, you know, when when all the big bull redfish in the Choctahatchee Bay start schooling up and then it's like nonstop action. Yeah. So it's the best time of year. Here. Slow and steady for, for summertime. Strategically, it's kind of – in the back of my mind, it's kind of stressing me out because a lot of the guides here in this bay, they work from like, I don't know, like April all the way until July, and they make three quarters of like their yearly income in those months, and the rest of it is just dead, you know? So mm-hmm. it's imperative that one um, books trips in that time frame to survive comfortably through the winter. You know, there's, there's some strategy behind yeah. it. And so... For me, leaving a key time frame in the Keys and moving up here at the time that I did is kind of concerning, but I'll figure that portion out I later think, on. I think, well, n- you, you know? know that. so I know that yeah. it's there, you know, and it's just on me to, to prep and prepare for that. So, but... Um, well, you got some guys here, me included, well, that will help. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, right, for, sure. for sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, and so... So, yeah, so now I'm here permanently. I wanted to raise my kids here in this area. I think this is God's country here. 
It I definitely mean, is. This is... And I don't want any more people moving here because there's. No. <laughs> I, I like this place a lot more back in 2012 and 13. Our bubble is full. You know, <laughs> yeah, this place is to capacity. You know, and that's as great as Florida is. It's un, it's kind of unfortunate because now we have everyone moving here, and it's actually putting a lot of stress on our infrastructure, our fisheries, like our natural resources, and a lot of people aren't. They're just now catching on to that. Oh yeah, you know our roads, like our plumbing. There's a lot of stuff that. I can't take that that load coming down here. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to this it place. Will. Yeah, know? especially over the next five years. I think this place, yeah, they're going to have to do some major work around here. Uh, absolutely. To, uh, but, again, and I thank Ron DeSantis for that, you know. Like, uh, this place is thriving because of it. Yeah. You know, it's the last true state. <laughs> Ron, Ronnie, you need to stay. I know, right? I do want him to stay. And you yeah. know what's it's awesome? podcast. It, he and he just doesn't care about the people, man. He cares about our natural resources. You know, he's a huge proponent and advocate of like clean water and taking care of the fisheries. Because like Florida, people come to Florida for the outdoors. You know, it's the best fisheries in the United States. I think. You know, the Keys being the number one. And Ron DeSantis, he knows that and yeah. he protects that shit. So hopefully, whoever we get next, you know. Is the same of the same, the same way, yeah. Because I mean, it's a very delicate ecosystem that we have here, especially South Florida. You know, we have a lot of water quality issues. Um, and now, when you introduce the amount of people coming down to Florida with that, it just stresses out some of our natural resources even more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure you've got seen a huge uptick in boat traffic here. I've never mm-hmm. seen so many damn oh, boats yeah. in this bay in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that causes a lot of stress on the on the fishery here. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. But here permanently now, um, full-time fishing guide and then CEO of Valiant Traditions, my nonprofit. And I started that to basically keep a foot within the world of SOF and the military and to continue to, like, give to, like, my brothers, you know. Um, There is a lot of identity crisis, PTSD issues. There's a lot of issues that we got going on within the world of SOF. And not just SOF, just the military in general, yep. you know, and I, I was, I've always been a teacher and a mentor and developer. I mean, that's from teaching martial arts to, to just being a green beret, teaching foreign, foreign armies, how to combat against, um, oppressors, if you will. And now being fishing guide is taking an angler and mentoring and developing them to be a better angler and how to take care of the natural resource that, we spend our time on the fishery, you know? So all of those have a lot of overlap in them. And the most comfy way that I could get out of the military would be transitioning into something very similar. So if you look at fishing guide and you look at green beret, they're still both mentors, developers, teachers. It's just, you're doing something different, but it's still the same concept, you know? So that's why I started Valiant Traditions was kind of to give guys an idea of what the fishing guide world is, you know, kind of see what I'm doing, see how it relates, and to get them out on the water, you know. and Which is huge. It's one of the biggest, I mean, I think in terms of mental health, it's probably one of the strongest things that we could do is, yeah. is put ourselves out there in that environment. You know, the water's very therapeutic, and – Combining that with giving them purpose and a challenge, you know, because we're all very 
like a type individuals very challenged and goal oriented to give them that kind of fills that identity void. Cause I look at a lot of like my peers and friends and they get out and they go through this weird time frame of like, who am I, what am I going to do? You know, that wasn't as bad for me because I already knew who I was. I was an outdoorsman, you know, I was an outdoorsman before I went into the army. Green Beret was just a job, you know, was it a big part of my life? Absolutely. But that's not what I was in my free time. I tried to tell myself that so that it wasn't stressing my family out because I mean, like your parents don't need a team guy. No, they need a dad. Yeah. You know, your wife doesn't need a team guy. She needs a husband. And so fishing guide was a perfect way for me to transition. I want other people to see that as well. You know, if people want to check, check that out or learn more about that, what's the website for it? So my nonprofit valiant traditions, um, I mean, you could just go to valiantraditions.org and that will automatically come up. That's a very small grassroots nonprofit that I run. Um, I hand select the people that I take out fishing because not everybody is going to get anything out of it. You know, some people won't get anything out of sitting on the front of the boat, depending on what they're going through, you know, but some people will. And I work through the care coalition to find those specific entities, you know, because those guys can truly vet and know some of these people. And a lot of them are my friends, honestly, or peers, acquaintances. Most of these nonprofits that work in that space, they don't know who they're getting. And some of them don't require a DD-214 or ERB or whatever, you know, to help validate these guys. So they're just bringing a bunch of people that may not even, you know, benefit from the trip. Or they're taking advantage of the system. Or they're taking advantage of the system. And so that's why I'd like to keep my nonprofit small because I feel like I have effectiveness in in who I'm helping. And, again, keeps me grounded to the community as well. The other business that I created, the for-profit business, is Brave Waters Guide Service. And that is, I'm part owner in that. The other owner, his name's Quinn Hollinsworth. He's from the 75th Ranger Regiment. He lives over in Freeport as well. And him and I wanted to design something to, um, basically a venue to be able to help other people that are getting out of the military if they wish to aspire to be a fishing guide. It's basically a a venue for them to sign up and become a guide after we've gone through with them and validated them because not anybody can just be a fishing guide. You know what I mean? But if you're in the local area, you know, or if you wanted help starting your own guide business, you know, on how to do it coming out of the military, Quinn and I would be a good um, resource resource to use just because, like, we've lived it. You know what I mean? And so that's Brave Waters Guide Service. And then I have my own guide business that my wife actually owns, Push a Good Inshore. And so so if they want to book a tour with you, go to Push. Yeah, if they wanted to book a trip, I mean, you could go to Instagram and find Push a Good Inshore or Brave Waters Guide Service and be able to contact me. I mean, you could type both of those names into the, the gotcha. old Google search bar and be able to find everything that way. And if someone wants to donate to your nonprofit, um, go to yeah they could go to valiantraditions.org and just we'll click put all donate. those all those links at the bottom when this podcast comes out no, i appreciate sure. that yeah. yeah but again you know um a big part of all of that it was staying taking care of myself mentally you know transitioning out as seamless as possible being gainfully employed you know and keeping a foot in the world of soft just to stay grounded because i I mean, 
I've heard of a lot of people getting out cold turkey and 10 years later on down the road. It's like they're these lost human beings. It just hits you out of nowhere. So yeah, I realize that's a reality for a lot of guys I've stayed in for a while. And so I'm trying to combat that early on. You that's know? awesome. And so surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals, you know, and trying to replicate the world that we lived in the best as possible. You know, that was like the primary goal for me at least. Yeah, I can't think of someone that would be more, and I'm really excited to see what God has for you in the next coming years. Yeah. Because you have the entrepreneur side and, you know, the the private world, and then you have the experience of being a Green Beret and serving in the military. Like those, man, that's so needed, both of like, and especially the transition between them um, and, and mental health and, and fishing. Like you have – you're so situated to be so helpful to so many. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. You're setting you're setting the bar and the example for all of our brothers who are either getting out, transitioning right now, but then it's also inspiring because it's like, okay, Scott is doing this, like, so can you. you no, know absolutely. I mean? And then you're giving them that chance, like, hey, well, come out with me through your nonprofit and mm-hmm. showing them, like, yeah, there's other stuff out here. You can do this. Get, let them let them have that experience, and then hopefully that gives them like the jump start they need to like okay I can I can start looking to do something else that is very similar to our old job oh, and absolutely. give me another purpose. Which I think that is the main the main thing is getting dudes to find another purpose. That's the most important as in terms of like mental health. Yeah, you don't have an identity or purpose, you know, because I mean. Again, like, I'm sure, like, the SEAL team say the same thing. Like, we say, like, Special Forces is a mistress, you know? Oh, I've, And she'll I've, leave you looking yep, for a younger looking man. Looking for a younger man. Yeah, in the end, she'll leave you for a younger That's man. That's right. So yeah. if you're not ready for that, and sometimes that comes sooner rather than later. So if you're not thinking about that mentally preparing for it, you know, and then actually physically preparing for it, like, you're going to be behind the power curve. And so, yeah, it's just uh, right now there's a huge – um, there's a very popular movement within like the big fortune 500 companies. Like they're seeking out seals and green berets to be in, in leadership positions. Because if you look at like what we are in the soft community, we're really good managers of time, money and equipment, you know, yep. that's what we are. And so we're expected to make things happen. Well, that's very valuable within the corporate world. But not all of us would thrive in a corporate en- setting, you Inga. know, it's it like doesn't me. always translate the, like they need help transitioning. Absolutely. To it. You know, and like for me, like my big factor in being um, comfortable in life or being satisfied with life is I need to be outdoors. I mean, my entire career has been nothing but outdoor. I lived in the outdoors for 14 plus years. You yeah. know, all of it was outside. Very rarely did you ever see me unless I was like crunching emails or GPC requests or something like that. Like I was very rarely. We were always at the range. We're always patrolling. We're always out doing dive recalls. We're always outside. And that's the primary perp. That's why I did not want to pursue a job within the pharmaceutical realm. That's why I dropped out of college. Yeah. I did not want to be stuck working. in a cubicle. Exactly. It's yeah. just my mentality, like who I am, my identity, it just wouldn't allow that, you know? Sure. I, I'm sure I could just nug away at it, make it happen. But would I, you'd be miserable though. I would not be living. Yeah. There's, I mean, Yes, you should nug away at stuff or work hard at stuff to do, you know, what you want. If you you have an end state to like, hey, this is what I'm aspiring to do because this is what I want to do. But you shouldn't be, you know, 
making yourself miserable just because you're like, oh, well, I need to do this to provide, and this is the rest of my life. And it's like, no, man, like choose something that you you love that you want to do and find a way to make money. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, I mean, taking care of yourself first and foremost, yes. making sure that you're mentally healthy will only improve your family situation. So, and my wife has realized that as well. You know, it's it's like if she knows I'm 110%, family's going to be at 110%. Yep. You know, just because like we're like, if you're a male patriarch, if you want to call it that, you are the driving force of making it happen or completely failing. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with failure, but I mean, you can't fail completely with a family. No. You know, like. In the end, you are the provider and protector. Exactly. And so, again, I'm I'm very big on taking care of yourself, first and foremost, physically and mentally. Because if you're not 110%, your family is not going to be 110%. Cool. You know? so Truth. Good word, man. Anyways. Yeah, it's been good talk. Yeah, man. Know? Dude, but, I'm. It's been a pleasure having you on, dude. You, oh, you are, honored I mean, to be here, and I'm glad I got to you meet know, you guys. We went out a couple weeks ago. I mean, you are an amazing teacher. I saw you with my son showing him how to cast and everything, and, I mean, I was, like, blown away. I'm like, dude, you're a phenomenal instructor uh, because my son picked it up right away. And that's I appreciate because of the that. instruction that you gave him. Um, so, I, you know, people, for people listening, if you're looking to get out in the water and – and learn from one of the best, definitely look you up and we'll oh, put the links that. below. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, appreciate what you're doing for your brothers, like through your nonprofit. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that is huge and it's a testament to who you are as an individual. Like, yeah, you, you got out at 12 years, but you are still serving the community in a capacity, which I think that's one of the main reasons that we all join, right? It's because we want to serve. Yeah, know? absolutely. And so you're, you're, you're still keeping that going, um, which is, I think is honorable and uh also you're setting the example for others man and uh, i try to i appreciate that i appreciate it yeah we'll definitely get together again too uh we're in the area so awesome yeah we'll definitely get out there yeah (laughs) all right all right appreciate it guys out Out. off nice Nice. that's great yeah thank you